My name is Kevin Click. Uh, I was the worship pastor at Calvary Chapel South Bay for about 20, almost 20 years. And uh, what's interesting is before I came to Calvary Chapel, I was at a little church called Beach Cities Christian Fellowship. Now that was over in Hermosa Beach. And right about the same time, Pastor Jimmy had come from, I guess, down south or something like that, because I still hear a little accent he's got going, you know. I tease him about it every once in a while. I go, you think you're California, you ain't fooling anybody. But he came here about the same time, and so we had ended up kind of, I never met the guy. I'd never met him, and in all the years I was there for about five years there at, uh, at Beach Cities Christian Fellowship. Right there where, I don't know if anybody, if you're familiar with the Beach Cities, it used to be Rocky Cola Cafe. Right where aviation comes down, meets PCH. There's a little church there. Now I think it's Wave Church or something like that. But I was there for about five years, and we kind of did the same thing. It, was, it reminds me of a lot of this building. We did the very same thing, and we had kind of gutted the place. It was an old Nazarene church, and we were part of a Nazarene you know, denomination at the time. So we gutted the place. We put in blue chairs just like this. The building was from the 20s, but everything looked like it was from, you know, it was like the early 90s. And we painted it, painted the trim teal, and we, you know, we changed the name of the church. And there was a big rusty sign on the, on the, on the roof that said Church of the Nazarene. And here's one thing we knew. Nobody knew what a Nazarene was, but they were sure they didn't want to become one, that's for sure. So we took, had this big cross, take it down, and, you know, anyway. But what's funny is people used to always mistake our church for this church. And I think at the time, was there a, you guys were in a school or you were up off of by Trader Joe's up there in that with the columns and the pillars? Okay. So people would come to our church and they'd say, is this Church of the Beach Cities? We'd say, no, this is Beach Cities Christian Fellowship. And they'd go, oh, well, that's kind of the same, huh? I go, yeah, it's the same. Why don't you just stay? And so, then, <laughs> so they'd, they'd stay and, we, and vice versa. And people would come to that church looking for ours. But anyway, so I do have a bit of a history. And I, you know, Jimmy contacted me through Facebook, gosh, probably about a year ago. And we went and had lunch and and uh, kind of been buddies ever since. So I'm, I'm grateful to be able to, to, uh, to do both today, to worship the Lord and bring the word of the Lord to you today. I, I've kind of had uh, come to a realization lately that sometimes I just don't care about people. Now, without a show of hands, how many think the same thing? Oh, sorry. Ooh, I found you out. Okay. No, I mean, I, sometimes I just, here's what it is. I don't, I... Like, you, you annoy me. You're getting in my way. I don't have time for you, that kind of thing. And sometimes, I think if we're really honest, we just realize, man, I'm just, it's a dog-eat-dog world, and even, even as Christians, we're just trying to make it. And sometimes I don't have time for you, whether it's the homeless guy that I see all the time, whether it is this annoying lady at work, whatever it may be, um, yeah, sometimes I'm just a little, I don't know, maybe a little cold-hearted. I don't, I don't care about people. Like, if you don't, if you don't help me and please me, you're in my way, and I need you to go like, wow, you know, and you guys are thinking, I'm going to listen to this guy for the next 30 minutes, talk to me. This guy's a sinner. He's horrible. Um, I am a sinner, and I am horrible, but as I started thinking about it, and I, and, and I don't know about you, but I bring these kinds of thoughts to the Lord, right? I mean, if you have a relationship with God, you got to kind of bring these things to the Lord, and you say, well, sometimes, sometimes Lord, I, I don't think like you, and I certainly have trouble loving like you. That's for sure. I, I, as I started realizing, and we sing it all the time. I grew up in the church, so I, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know. I mean, I know the old stories, and I know the Bible, and, and I know about God's great love, and I know his grace, and I've experienced it in my own life. I've seen it in, as a pastor for 20 years. I've seen it in, 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 in people, their lives transformed, and they just cling to the love of God. Um, but I don't always love like him. 
And I want to. I wish I did. So in the book of Luke, Jesus is speaking, and I don't know if you have a Bible today. Now, I'm, almost, I'm not as good as Pastor Jimmy. He puts his notes up here, and he's filling the blanks, and I'm just, I'm just a little country preacher. That's all, I, you know, that's all I can. But I want to just share with you Jesus' heart for the lost, or God's heart for the, for the lost. In the book of Luke, chapter 15, Jesus ends up telling three stories, kind of ties them all together, and they're a bit of a progression. He tells a story, first of all, of a lost sheep. Now, you and I aren't shepherds. We have no concept of what that even means, but it does scream one thing, livelihood. This sheep equal dollar signs in the minds of, the, of the, the Hebrews that were raising them. So he tells a story of a lost sheep, and then he goes on, he tells a, st- a parable of a lost coin. Oh, now you're bringing it home, Kev, right? Now money, now, that, now I get it, a lost coin. Somebody loses some money, uh, you lose a little bit of money, lose your car keys, that is money, and that drives you crazy. Um, now, by the way, that's one thing that uh, the people in the uh, biblical times never had to deal with. They never had to lose their car keys, it just didn't exist. That's one modern problem we have. So there's a lost sheep, there's a lost coin, and then very famous, you're probably familiar with this one. This is the story of the lost son, or the prodigal son, maybe you've heard about. Okay? So he goes from talking about the sheep, you're like, okay, then he goes to talk about money, and you get, uh, okay, yeah, now you're hitting me a little bit. And then he goes to relationship, and that's something we all have. I may not have a lot of money, but I got people that I know and love and love me. He starts talking, and maybe you have a son, or maybe you have a daughter, or maybe you have family like that. So he starts talking about the lost son, and what you're going to see from this passage is that, is that Jesus is trying to convey the heart of God to earth. <laughs> we know that's why he came. That's the whole reason that Jesus Christ came to earth, was, and the scriptures tell us, was to, to crush the work that Satan had done in, in, in tricking us and messing us up and fulfilling the law and doing away with all of the, the evil things that, that essentially that, that, uh, that the enemy and mankind had done and to restore peace and relationship between God and man. That's the great theology of it all. But it's very interesting about Jesus. When he came to earth, he was so relatable he wasn't one of the ones who wore the robe. Now, by the way, when I, when I speak of, the, when I speak of like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, I'm kind of a theater major from way back, so I might use a British accent because all evil guys in movies are British accent, right? Okay. <laughs> it's always like, right? Think about it. It's always that way. So when Jesus is speaking, he didn't come to earth with a British accent. He never came to earth to, to try to address people on some high theological level. He came, as we sang before, as a lamb. This broken, not weak and pathetic and you know, worthless, but the Bible does say that he came and he was like a worm. He, he humbled himself and he, and he gave himself for, for us death on the cross, which is the ultimate sign of love, and we know that. But when he comes to earth, it's interesting, he really connects with the common people. Who's that? Well, that's me and you. It's common people. So there's this picture, I'm going to read it here in in Luke chapter 15. This first portion is called the parable of the lost sheep. So I want to paint the picture for you. There's 
By the way, Jesus, when he, he did teach in the, in the tabernacle, he did teach in the, in, the, in the temple. He did speak to the Jewish people. Um, he did speak in the temple and in the, in the, the official place to go share the scriptures and the, read the Torah and all of that. But most of his teachings, folks, were in the street. Most of them were just a common folks like you and me. And that's the whole idea about it. Remember he said, I don't know if you know, you know this passage, but he said, look, it's not the well people that need the doctor. It's those who are sick. And so he has this incredible innate ability to relate to the hurting and the broken and the adulteress and the thief and the liar and the cheat and the criminal. (laughs) And for some reason, they were attracted to him. Let me read this to you. Parable of the lost sheep, verse one of chapter 15 of the book of Luke. It says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners, and they drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, right? That's the religious groups, the religious leaders of the day. They're saying, as they're listening to him speak, this man receives sinners and eats with them. There's the British accent, right? So he spoke this parable to them saying, now that, that, portion, of, that portion of scripture, that actually paints the picture for us. Because you get this idea that here's this, here's this preacher, he talks different, he dresses different, he looks different, he acts different, he exudes the love of God because he is God in human form. People are attracted to this kind of authenticity. Do you have that? Do I have some of that? <laughs> I hope I do. I try to at work. I try to in my own home. But there was something about Jesus. Notice it says all the tax collectors and sinners... They, they drew near him. By the way, the tax collectors were, uh, they were traitors against the Jewish community because they would overtax their brethren and working for Rome. And sinners, by the way, could mean anything that you missed the mark out of God's perfect standard. So there's this group of people, tax collectors and sinners, and they drew near to him. And then the scribes and the Pharisees complained, this man receives sinners, or he, is, he has relationship with these people. The modern thought of the time was, if you were bad, you only hung around bad people. And if you were good, you only hung around good people. You could never interact with anybody else. So Jesus gets this idea, he speaks this parable to them. And here's what I picture in my mind. I picture all of these people gathered around this one guy, but there's this back row, right? No offense, back row. I know you love God and everything. You're all good back there. But there's a... (laughs) Yeah, the Baptists used to say that's where the sinners sit. But the thing is, but now on the back, you get this, can you believe it? He attracts these sinners, and he sits with sinners, and he blah, 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 blah. And there, so there's the judgment row, the peanut gallery, they used to say. There will always be that group of people, even to this very day, speaking those things about Jesus anyway. But you have this, diet, this, this completely diametrically opposed group of people. You have this people, these tax collectors and sinners, and they're hearing a man speak to them like they've never heard before. Yes, they've heard high thoughts and high theology, and I'm better than you, and you better get your act together, or God won't accept you. They've heard that their entire life. That's centuries of, of that. And here comes a man who's authentic and real and kind, and he speaks love before judgment, mercy before judgment, and something about this man attracted these people. They drew near to him. 
And that infuriated these religious leaders. And so Jesus sees that, and he knows it, and he speaks this. He says, like, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he puts it up on his shoulders, and he's, he's rejoicing. He's so happy. Yeah, he comes home, he calls his friends and his neighbors together, and he goes, look, hey, by the way, yeah, remember that, remember, remember Henry the sheep? Yeah, I found him. Now, we're thinking, at this point, we're going like, okay, I don't, sheep? All right, and I, I don't get it. It's a little bit more than losing your dog. This was, you know, it's, it's your livelihood. So Jesus is speaking to the common people, and he's speaking to them on this common level, and he, again, remember, he's trying to convey how God feels about, about hurting and broken, lost people that are separated from him, about humanity in general. So he goes, he says, what, man, what, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, won't leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after it until he's found it? Now, does that sound foolish to you? I mean, let me give you those odds again. You've got a hundred sheep, one goes missing, and you leave the 99, and it looks like it's a bit unattended. You leave the 99 unattended, and you go run after one, because ready, in God's economy, one is vitally important. We're not talking about, hey, this is just another number. It's interesting. Now, we, we, there's two perspectives, right? You're seeing, you're seeing man's perspective. It's a sheep, and it's a pen, and it's a shepherd. He's going out to look for sheep. But if you, if you look at it this way, it's God saying, I don't want one to be lost. Why, why didn't Jesus, and if we believe in the return of Jesus Christ, why didn't he come back in 1970 when all the hippies got saved and California was all on fire for God? Because you and I probably wouldn't have come to know God. Why didn't he come in 1980 when Reagan was president and everybody was peaches and cream, right? I don't Because some people wouldn't get to be with God. Why didn't he come? Uh, name the time, right? Why, did, why didn't he come then? Because he cares about the one. So here the picture is that this shepherd, and it looks a little irresponsible, it's a little crazy. Like you'd never leave, like if you had a bunch of kids and you were their daycare, you, you wouldn't leave them unattended and go, I, little Johnny ran off, you know. So this is one of the questions I have when I get to heaven. I'm going to say, hey, by the way, you did leave them with like a sub-shepherd, right, when you went out to look for the, the other one. I mean, so the idea is that, again, God cares about the one. There's that song uh, today, a uh, Christian worship song called Reckless Love. And it, it sounds a little irreverent and irresponsible, and I, I understand the controversy behind it. Because we know that God's love isn't reckless. It's intentional. It's, thought, it's from way beyond uh, our understanding he's loved us. But we do see this as being a little bit crazy, a little bit reckless. So, here's, so again, the idea, he leaves the 99, he goes and finds it. And look, when he finds it, here's what I notice. He doesn't go, so this is the, he doesn't go, hey, Henry, where have you been? He's like, I, I don't care. Don't give me those excuses, right? So he grabs this thing. He puts the lamb up on his shoulders, which is the way they carried it. And what a picture of Jesus, right? Shouldering and bearing our burden. So he, he's got this lamb, and he's not angry, Right? This lamb represents lost humanity, and he's not angry. 
He puts this lamb on his shoulder and he bears the weight and walks it back to his home and then he's excited. It says he does it rejoicing. There's a passage in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says that for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Like he hated the the physical pain of it, but he loved what the outcome would be. Salvation for all mankind. So for the joy that was set before him, he was excited, partially excited about saving humanity for you and me. And he comes home and he starts calling his friends and neighbors and he goes, hey, rejoice with me. Hey, I found my lost sheep. He says, for the one that was lost has been found. Now notice this. This is verse seven of chapter 15. He goes, now I say to you. Now Jesus explains it. So he tells a story and then he kind of, kind, of, kind of gives a little addendum here at the end. He says, look, I'm gonna tell you that in the very same way that this guy rejoiced over finding that one sheep and it's just a sheep, He goes, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 good people who don't need any repentance at all. There's there's a first picture of the love of God for us. That God is willing to go to great, extensive, extravagant lengths There's another worship song I love, the title of it. I love the title of it. It's called Scandalous Grace. That word scandalous, I mean like people are talking about it and it's it's a little bit crazy. If you think about what Jesus Christ did for humanity, it's ridiculous. People always say, oh, it's man-made religion. I don't know any man that would come up with the idea of killing his son to pay for people that hated him. That is the gospel right there, by the way. People that hate you, you're going to love them so much that you'd kill your own child for them. There's no man in the world that would be so sadistic. We're sadistic and crazy in, in the world, yeah. But nobody would come up with that. That's for sure. So there's that first picture. There's this lamb. So now you've got the people thinking, hmm, okay. Wow, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I'm an, you know, I, I know... I know Abraham, he's a shepherd, and I, yeah, man, if he lost one of his sheep, I get it, yeah, it's livelihood. And then he, but he compares, he says, look, but even more, even more than that, you think that's important? You think things of earth are important? Let me tell you, the things of the kingdom, they're so much more important. And so, and so Jesus is saying, look, it's over one person who, all heaven goes crazy. That's what my old pastor used to say. All heaven just goes crazy in parties over one person. That's how valuable God thinks that one is. Then he moves on to the parable of the, of the lost coin. So the very first one, interesting, the sheep wandered away. Uh, so just a rhetorical question. Was it the sheep's fault that he wandered away? Yeah. It was his fault. Did he go looking for other grass and get into trouble? Yep. It was his fault. Should he be blamed and have one of his legs broken and taught a lesson? He sure should. But was he? He was thrown up on the neck of the shepherd and with love and grace and joy. I never, I never, look, I never picked up a sheep. How heavy do you think you are, son? 89 pounds? I bet like a sheep is three times as heavy as you. Think you could bear it on your shoulders? I couldn't either. I mean, you know, you, you get the point? 
I mean, that's just some, that's some labor in that. And he did it with rejoicing. So the sheep wandered away. But never in this passage do you get the smack down. And don't we live in a world where they think that God's ready to smack them down? Sometimes I even think that. You know, you're going through Facebook and you see something, oh, I shouldn't look at that, right? I'm a, a, you hear a joke at work or you see something with TV or internet or whatever it is, or you, you think a thought, whatever, oh man, oh, God's going gonna to bust me for that. Remember, we can't get our theology from what we think or feel, but we get our theology from the Word of God. And this is telling us, out of Jesus' mouth himself, words in red in the scriptures that say, man, he wasn't angry at the sheep. He loves the sheep. And he went after the sheep. Does he want us to change if we have crazy ways? Yeah, of course. And he'll help us do that. So the sheep wandered away. The second idea, the parable of the lost coin, and I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I, I was kind of doing some study on it. Um, the, the, the coin actually broke away. So you've got, the, you've got this, this sheep that wandered away. Do, 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 poor Henry, right? And now you've got this, this coin that actually broke away from a necklace. It's very common in, in, in those days where it was almost a dowry, right? Almost a dowry where they would wear this necklace and it had 10 coins in it. And it was for, uh, some, some believed it was for married women. And it was kind of interesting. The taxes, like you couldn't, you couldn't tax a person on that, on that silver coined necklace. And so, uh, ladies, diamond earrings, what if you lose one of them? It's worthless now, right? It's worthless. That little set's worthless. Got to go buy another one. You got to go, you know, you lose the stone, you, you know. So it's incomplete. And here's the idea of this. Let me read this to you. So here we just talked about a sheep. And he goes, okay, let me bring it home a little bit more. So what woman having 10 silver coins? And immediately as he said that, everybody knew. Oh, yeah, oh, it's the necklace they've, they've got going. It's the cultural necklace. has 10 silver coins. Having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of those coins, doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And look, when she's found it, what does she do? Same picture. She calls all of her friends. You're not going to believe it, Mildred. I found my coin. Oh, thank God you were killing me over the complaining over and over. Sorry, that's my Jewish lady voice, isn't it? Anyway. <laughs> Rejoice with me. I found the peace that I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there's joy in the presence of the angels over, uh, of God over one sinner who repents. So it's the same picture, just a different story. So this idea of having this necklace with 10 silver coins in it, it's not like, hey, I lost 20 cents on the ground. Remember the days where you would pick up pennies? Now I like see how far I can kick them. I know, it's bad. It's bad. I, like, I hate pennies. They've, I, like, they're dreadful. I know, I'm ungrateful. It's terrible. But I'm getting that way with nickels now, right? If it's a quarter, I'm going to pick it up. But we're not talking about that, right? Right? I know. This guy's so weird, you know? But it's, we're not talking about that. Well, you know, it's like, it's interesting. I found a $20 bill laying on the ground. It's just so bizarre. I was on a walk in the morning, had my headset on, listening to music, you know, and I found a $20 bill on the ground. It was laying right in front of this truck. And I, it's the, you're going to think I'm the weirdest guy in the world. I grabbed the $20 bill, I folded it up, and I stuck it in the truck door. Now you're thinking, you won't pick up a nickel, you know, but you, you'll leave a $20 bill? Yeah, it was weird. I stuck a $20 bill in there. And then like, uh, I think it was like the next day, somebody gave me $100 cash. 
It was really cool. Out of nowhere. I'm like, sweet. This is a good principle. It's like quadrupled my, my uh, investment. Um, but we're not talking about that. <laughs> See? We're not talking about just losing regular coins. Here's what we're talking about. We're talking about a piece that belongs. This piece belongs in this set. It's important. It's valuable. And without it, I love this idea. Now, let's put God into this thing for a second. Without this 10th coin, the necklace is incomplete. And in a sense, what God is saying is, without you or you or me or that one guy that's, that's wayward, that one lady that's wayward, without you, God is saying, my kingdom's incomplete. I've got to have you. And a matter of fact, I'm going to light a lamp. I'm going to send out the Holy Spirit. He's the light, right? He's going to shine. I'm going to send out the Spirit. I'm going to light a lamp. I'm going to sweep the house. And I'm going to search carefully till I find it. Because to this woman, it was so valuable, and it, but it was incomplete. I've got to find this thing, right? I can't, I can't get cubic zirconia in the left and like one carat diamond in the right. You know, my girlfriends are going to know. It's just not, you know, not the same. And that's silly, I know. But the idea is that this wasn't just a bunch of coins that were lost. This is something valuable, something that needed, it needed to be completed. And I love it that, that God says, look, my kingdom's not complete. In 1980, it wasn't complete. In 88, in 87, before I got saved, he'd come in 86, I got saved in 87. It, my kingdom's not complete. It's like the Lord saying, I want you. The old Uncle Sam poster, right? It's like, but I want you. I don't, I don't need you. I want you. There's something different, isn't it? That's totally different. I want you. You belong in my kingdom. So she does the same thing. She finds it. She calls her friends and neighbors together. And she says, rejoice with me. I found the peace which I lost. Now check this out. Interesting. Verse 10. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So first we see that there's joy in heaven. And now this explains it a little further. It says, there is, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now this is interesting. I'm not going to say this is completely the gospel, but there are, there are people who believe that in the presence of the angels means that it's God who's rejoicing that he's the one standing up out of his throne, dancing and partying and shouting, and, and the angels are, are, are being affected by that. You get that picture? This is not just, thank God they've come to me. That's not, <laughs> that's the picture of God we have, big white beard and all of this sort of thing. Like, that's not the idea. So I love this. I love that he's, he's, he's kind of bringing it home a little bit more. Like that God would stand up from his throne and he would dance and sing over just one that would, would give their lives to God. He loves, you're so valuable. Man, the necklace is complete. My kingdom is complete. Interesting. And then the next day, nope, not complete yet. Nope, it's 2018, not complete yet. God's love for us is so immense that he goes to such great lengths over it. So, the sheep wandered away. This necklace broke away. It was an accident. I, I didn't mean to. You know, I didn't mean to start that relationship. I didn't mean to, you know, become an alcoholic. I didn't mean to go down that road. I didn't mean to break that 
guy's heart or girl's heart. I mean, I didn't mean it. I just, I just got caught up. I just, it just happened. And you don't, there, there's no condemnation over, over losing a piece. See? You're not going to get any of that in here. You're not going to see this kind of uh, glorified smackdown by God. He's painting that picture again of the incredible, uh, stupendous <laughs> love of God that goes to great lengths. And there's great rejoicing over one who comes to him. Then the third one. Now this, is, this could be a whole 10-week Bible study on its own and I won't, I won't even begin to even tap into that. But the third one is the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. So the sheep wanders away. The, uh, the coin breaks away. And the son intentionally and deliberately walks away. So now if they didn't understand the sheep, and they weren't shepherds, but I kind of get the idea. And if they didn't understand the coin necklace, relation was everything. Family was everything in this culture. And so he's going to drive home this point to this group of people, the, the sinners that drew near him, the tax collectors, they're the front row, and they're listening intently. And I'm sure it didn't take as long as I'm talking about it. But they're listening intently because so far, wow, he hasn't told me I'm ugly. He hasn't told me I'm nasty and no good and worthless. What is it about this guy, man? I'm so thirsty to hear what Jesus has to say to me. I need more of it. So now he drives it home a little bit more. Now he brings it home to family and he says, listen, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them says to his father, Hey, give me all the... Por- I'm going to do a New York accent now. Can I do that? Right? I don't do a very good New Yorker. But he says, Hey, Pop, give me all my inheritance and things that are for me. I want everything. I'm going to go out and see the world. Are you from New York back there? You're not. Okay. You got that tough New York look, though, sometimes. Anyway. Um, right? So the arrogant kids from New York, the, <laughs> the British accents from the religious leaders. Okay. But that's what he says. So he's got two sons, and in a sense, they're painting a picture. One's a really good one. He's really obedient. He does everything. Uh, maybe you have kids like this. <laughs> Some of us do. The other one's a little more of a troublemaker. So the, the son says, hey, give me what's mine, intentionally walking away. I want it. I want my inheritance. I'm not waiting until you're dead. I want it now, and I'm leaving. Very interesting. And here's what happens. So... The dad grabs him by the robe, throws him on the ground, kick. No, he doesn't do any of that. Doesn't do any of that. That's what you expect to hear. So what he does, and I'm going to paraphrase this, he divides all of his wealth up. He gives his son the portion, and his son goes out and he spends it on, it just says, wild and crazy living. There's a young man with a pocket full of cash. If you've been a young man with a pocket full of cash, you can imagine what wild and crazy living means, and we'll leave it at that. But what happens is he ends up losing all of his money. And sometimes when you lose your money, you lose all your friends. Hey, it was good while the drugs lasted, but you're broke now. <laughs> you can't do nothing for me. I'm out of here. So that's what happened. He ends up, guy ends up living in a pigsty. So now this Jew, <laughs> if you know about Jews and pork, those two don't go together. And matter of fact, God forbid them to, to even, you know, uh, to raise pigs at the time. So they are, he ends up finding himself sitting in a pig pen. Let me pick it up from there. 
There's a great famine in the land. So he, he goes and he joins himself to one of the citizens of the country and, he, he, and the guy sends him into his fields to work to feed pigs. And as he's sitting in the mud, he says, I gladly fill my stomach with the pods that the swines are eating. And no one gave him anything. But one day he came to his senses. That's a beautiful statement. And he said, I can't believe it. How many of my father's hired servants, they have enough bread to spare. And I'm sitting here starving to death. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to just, I'm just going to be honest and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven and I'm no longer worthy to be your son. You know how we do. Like you get in trouble with the boss. I know I did it, boss. I did this, I did this, and I did this, and I, did, I know I'm in trouble. And the boss is like, um, anyway, I just wanted to give you a raise, tell you Jenkins is out and you're in. Oh, sorry. Oops, I mean to, I mean to give it all away. So he comes to himself and he goes, he makes a plan and he goes, I'm just going to ask my dad to make me a servant. So with honesty and humility, finally, after a bunch of foolish living, and I've been that guy, still that guy, he arises and he goes to his father. Listen to this statement. Got a sheep, pretty important. Lost coin, incomplete, found it. Super happy, it's, that's important. But when he was still a great way away, right? He's got his hobo stick, right? The stick with the bag on the end of it. And he's walking, got all his belongings or whatever. When he was a far way off, his father saw him. And he had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck. And he kissed him. And I bet he didn't say it quietly. I bet he said, the, the, the son says to him, Father, I've, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father now says, and this is what I mean by not quietly, the father says, hey, bring out the best robe. And he's like, Dad, I'm not, I don't know, Dad, tears. I'm not, Dad, I'm not worthy. Of hey, hey, hey. Eli, bring out the robe. And I want my, my ring and, you know what? The big fat calf? Yeah. When we were saving for, yes. Kill that one. My son, who to me and the community was dead, is alive. He's back. I know, Dad, but here, uh, here's the conversation, right? I know, Dad, but you don't seem to, you see, I had a whole lot of pocketful of cash. I spent it a lot. I, I, just, I don't want to hear it, son. No, I know, but um, I, I'm sexually immoral, and I did a... Did, did, did. I know, but man, I, I, I drank myself half to death, and I, I acted like a fool, and I disgraced your name. Did, did, did. That's enough. I mean, can you imagine that scene? Have any of you ever experienced that kind of acceptance and that kind of love and that kind of grace? No, no, I know God, but I... It's Okay. Stupid sheep wandering away. <laughs> Come here, Henry. Oh, I found this coin. Now my kingdom is complete. Now he's speaking right. Now, this is interesting too. And I'm almost finished here. Just two and a half hours more. But what, if we go back to the beginning of Luke, it says all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. I think at this point, there are some people 
with their head bowed going, oh man, I'm just like that kid. I think there's some tax collectors and sinners who said, I've done that. I do that. Man, who is this dad? I got to know this dad. This can't be real. Here's why. Because you shame your father's home, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. You've shamed me. That's what it should have been. Matter of fact, if your son had shamed you and was disobedient, there were laws at the time where you could have dragged him before the people of the town and thrown stones at him and killed him until he was dead. So not only is this kid have his physical being and his life, but he has now been elevated back to the point of a son. No, no, I don't even want to be a son anymore. I just want to be, I, I'm, just, I'm just going to be a, 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 just a servant. And the dad's like, shh, 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 no, don't you ever think that. I don't care what you've done. I'm just glad you're back. And he elevates, he puts his robe on him. He puts his ring, his own ring, a signet ring that signifies the, the family. And it's almost in a sense like, I'm proud of you and I love you. And like, Wow. That's incredible. Also in that passage, I don't know if you noticed it, but the son's walking, right? And it says, his father saw him far away. I wonder. Did in the evening, dad sit on the porch, peeking out and waiting for his son? Father, maybe today is the day he comes back. It says he saw him from afar off and he runs to him and he kisses him and it says he puts his robe on him, he puts his ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. This destitute, foolish, wasteful, guilty, shameful son has been restored. And I imagine all of those tax collectors and sinners thought the very same, now you get two perspectives, thought the very, the, the very same thing. I can't believe this kind of love. Then the back row of Sadducees and Pharisees, these religious leaders, this man's breaking the law by not stoning his son. I would have taken my son and, you know, what a contrast, right? What a contrast. But in God's perspective, the idea is that that which was lost has been restored. That that which had broken away by accident, that which had wandered away stupidly, or in this kid's case, that who had said arrogantly, hey, hey, I ain't coming back, Dad. Give me what's mine in arrogance. I've been there. I've done that. I've said that. And in every state and in every portion of this little threefold story, he's driving the point home. God cares about the lost. He cares about your mother-in-law. He cares about your uncle. He cares about your boss at work. He cares maybe even today about you. Maybe you're kind of experimenting with Christianity. You're not really sure what it's all about. Men, let me just, as a, as a little side note, men have made Christianity very difficult. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is that this is the heart of the gospel. 
Yes, there's some things that I may need to clean up. Yes, there's some behaviors that I may need to change. But I can't change any of those. This young man couldn't put shoes on his feet or a ring on his finger or a robe on his back. He couldn't do anything. He, he was found. That sheep was found. The, the, the coin was found. And even though that kid came to his senses, he was powerless to change his life. He had to go back to the only one that could change him. And then there's a big hoopla there at the end because the other son is now all mad because, you know, there's always family drama, isn't there? Right? Brother against brother. Now, there's the, now the other brother's like, he's not from New York, though, you know. He's different. It's like a surfer guy. I didn't get a calf or anything. Nobody killed an animal for me, Dad. I've been here like forever working hard for you, you know. I think you love him more than me. That's not true. And to wrap it up, at the end of that thing, he, at the end of the story of Prodigal Son, there's so much more that can be said about it, but at the end of it, he says, hey, look, I, everything I have is yours. And he's really talking to the religious leaders. Hey, guys, don't stand in the back row. Come up front and draw near to me, man. I love you too, even though you think you're better than me and a little more smug and self-righteous and all of those things, but I love you too. And matter of fact, what he says to the son is, you've been with me forever. You've been here the whole time. You have access to my ring. You wear my ring and my robe. And this all of a sudden, this, this is where I kind of came in. Kevin, you, you're like that older brother because you don't live like that in a pig pen anymore and now you think you're better than everybody else. And that's not the heart of God. And I want to have the heart of God for people that are hurting and broken or people that are arrogant and have run away, <laughs> just like me. Let me give you three things here and we'll just end with this. They're really simple points, guys. Nothing too extreme today. But number one, if you, you just remember this, we are valuable to God. Not in a sense that he needs us, but in the sense that he loves and desires and wants us. That's it. We serve a God who is, he's self-existent. He needs nothing. But to have someone that powerful make a choice to love, that's, that's amazing. So we're valuable to God. The second point that I pulled out of all this is that God does the pursuing. He does. Even like the sun, even if I get some thought in my mind, hey, it kind of came to my senses, God still runs from far away to come after us. In Ezekiel 34, the Bible says that, you know, God says, man, I, I'm the shepherd, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to seek my sheep that are lost. Psalm 119, 176, it, the psalmist is saying, seek after me, Lord, I'm like a lost sheep, come find me. So we're valuable to God, God pursues us and the last one is, he wants me to be like Jesus. And he wants me to have that same heart like him. So maybe you can relate to one of those portions in the story. Hey, maybe I'm that son. Maybe I'm the sheep. Maybe I'm the Pharisee. Maybe I'm one of the guys in the front row. At the end of the day, don't you think with all of the hate going on today, all of the, 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 the division and lack of unity in the United States, don't you think that if each one of us, if I looked at you and said, you're valuable, if I looked at you and said, you are valuable, and you looked at me and said, you're valuable, don't you think that if we started acting like Jesus, some things would change around here? Man, 
And yet, the gospel gets snuffed out. Yet, God has nothing good to say. Yet, God, he's ticked off at everybody. Yet, it's like, I can't, I can't show him that anymore. Maybe I did a couple times. Maybe I have in my life. Maybe you have in your life. Sometimes I watch those TV preachers and I go, man, God ain't angry. Okay, maybe a little bit. <laughs> but you know, but he's, he's, he loves us. Yes, he hates sin. Yes, he doesn't tolerate that. Yes, he's holy. Yes, he's perfect. But when it comes down, can I say it to the nitty-gritty, and he interacts with you and me on a personal level, this is what we see. And if Jesus came to earth to represent God and his love for us, I think he nailed it. He rightly represented who God the Father is. So, again, we're valuable to God. God does the pursuing and he wants us to be just like Jesus. Would you pray with me today? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it is true. In a world of millions of religions and all sorts of atheistic thinking, Lord, it's, it's so encouraging, Lord, to hear a simple message about the truth of God. So, Father, we want to tell you that we love you today and we really do want to be like Jesus. We believe that your love can conquer anything. We believe that your love is the answer for our, our world and our politics. And So, Father, please be close, Lord, and inspire us and help us to be just like you in all these things. Thank you that you pursued us and that we belong to you, Lord. So we pray all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.